This is a TBN UK podcast. In this series, you can hear some of the interviews from TBN Meets, where faith meets culture. Hear from Christian ministries, innovators, authors, artists, and creatives. Hi, TBN family, and welcome to TBN Meets. Today, we're joined by Vicky Walker, who is here to talk to us about her book, Relatable. It's an honest and challenging exploration of how faith, church, and culture can impact not only our relationships, but also our expectations. Welcome, Vicky. Thanks for having me, Janelle. So tell me first a little bit about, about you. Well, I have been a writer for a number of years. I wrote a book a few years ago called Do I Have to Be Good All the Time? Uh, I didn't answer that question, but lots of people got in touch with me uh, to tell me their stories and to answer the question (laughs) as they saw it. So what eventually happened was that I started to explore what it actually meant for people to say that they had a faith and also to have a relationship in the present day. So what I've been doing for the last few years is really looking at that in some detail. What does it actually mean to say that you have a faith and also to live in the world that we live in and uh, interact with people, whether it's being single or dating or married and, and how that changes over time. So in your book, Relatable, it brings up some crucial things for Christians, as you just mentioned, in this day and age, navigating relationships. Why did you decide to write this book in this way in particular? Well, I actually didn't. What I thought I would do was a quick, uh, relatively quick six-month exploration of of the topics that people had approached me with. Um, And I thought, I'll do a survey. That's an easy way to do it. You know, I'll ask people to submit their stories, tell me anything they want to get off their chests. And I thought maybe a couple of hundred people would want to do that. So I set up a survey and 200 people did that in the first day. So I thought, okay, more people want to talk about this. It's not just, uh, it's not just me or a few people. Uh, so eventually 1,500 people almost filled in the survey and they went into great detail about their experiences, some who were still Christians, some who had left the faith, uh, really across the range of people's um, life experiences, relationship experiences. And so I wanted to really spend the time understanding and honouring what they told me and respecting um, their honesty and work through what that meant on a grander scale. You know, what did it actually look like to live in this day and age and to have a relationship or to interact with other people? What difference had technology made to that? How were the teachings that people were being given actually helping or hindering their journey through life? So um, I thought it would be a quicker thing. I did not think that I would spend three years of my life immersed in this, but that is what happened. That's an incredible amount of data. If you think yes. of how many, normally how many people might fill out a survey, you'd be glad to get 50. Yes. That's quite a number <laughs> of things. What kind of questions were in the survey? Well, I asked everything. (laughs) I thought there's no point in holding back, really. So I asked everything from people's own experiences of their faith and their life through to uh, experiences about sex, if that's allowed to say that on TV. Through to just how things had varied from what they were taught would happen to what had actually happened. Uh, Lots of things about dating, about church, about attitudes around family, divorce, expectations. Um, I asked everything really, and I gave space for people to tell me what they wanted to talk about. So it wasn't just about what I wanted to know, but actually giving people that flexibility to say, I don't fit into these categories, this is what happened to me. So it was interesting really how varied people's responses were. 
and probably quite cathartic for the people who actually got to tell their story probably in a way quite anonymously, mm. in a way with no judgment in the sense there's no answer coming back to them of you did or didn't do the right yes. thing. Yeah. What was the most surprising thing that you read, if it's shareable? <laughs> well, the most shareable, <laughs> surprising thing that you read? Good disclaimer. <laughs> uh, I think it was... Probably the most surprising thing would be, depending on what you were expecting to find. So if you were somebody who had followed all the teaching that you were given and it had worked for you, then you would probably be surprised to hear that it hadn't worked for the majority. So I think that was probably the most interesting thing to the people that would be doing the teaching. So when I asked people what their romantic lives had been like, only 13% said happy and straightforward. So that's just over one in 10. So if you look around a church of 200, the majority of people, you know, the, over 150 people in there would have not had that experience. They may have ended up happy enough. They may be, you know, going through the bumps of life. But, you know, a small minority said, yeah, it was fine. Everything went according to plan. And I was contacted by people who said everything went according to plan and I'm writing in to let you know (laughs) (laughs) everything worked by the book but the majority weren't saying that so I think that's one probably big thing particularly for people who spend their lives in more of a bubble of Christianity that actually there are people peripherally or you know perhaps with a brave face on in church who actually isn't happening like that for them at all so that's one big thing I think um Another thing was just the difference of people's opinions, their ethics as well. So sometimes when people would say, well, I'm a Christian, but I think this is okay. And someone else would say, well, I'm a Christian and that absolutely isn't okay. So there was a lot of variety within that. And as you say, there wasn't any judgment in people writing in. People had the option to be anonymous, but quite a few people who responded put their names to it and said, I want to talk about this as much as I can. (laughs) That's great. Well, for you, that's great for a book. (laughs) Well, I include every story I made anonymous anyway. I included everything as people had told it to me, but not to focus on individuals and draw attention to them, but to say these stories are indicative of trends rather than something that was perhaps pulling them out as an exception. So the surprises, I think, were just in the breadth of stories and the breadth of experiences and how few people had had what we might call a normal experience. And so one of the things that's definitely probably changed massively through the years is technology Mm -hmm. and in this age of, as we call it, choice. Mm. So tell us a bit about how you explored that in the book. Well, technology is a growing phenomenon and it's estimated that by 2040, as many as 70% of couples may meet online. Mm. So things are shifting dramatically over time. Uh, At the moment, it's a smaller number. Nobody knows quite how many, but obviously it's a growing number. Um, Definitely people that I knew in the past would say, oh, yeah, we we met in the gym, we met in the gym. And then they'd perhaps have, you know, a glass of wine and say, we met online. You know, it's it's suddenly a very different scenario. So now there isn't that kind of shame about it or that... um, stigma even you know it's just something that people are honest and open about as a fact of life and I think I'd say in the book that it's not less holy to see someone for the first time on a screen than it is in person it's just Mm -hmm. another way of meeting so I think that disposability that potentially comes along with that is something that needs to be addressed and and really dealt with holistically and in a pastoral way so not to say 
stay away from it, all technology is bad, it will lead you down a dark road, because that's clearly not true, you know, we may as well all just give up electricity and then we can all go <laughs> home, you know, it just, it doesn't work like that. So what I wanted to do was to talk about how we respect each other, regardless of how we meet, whether we're just communicating on a device or whether we're actually meeting in person, it shouldn't matter, depending, you know, on how we end up te treating that person. And it's so interesting because really there's nothing in the Bible that has a definitive answer on whether or not people should date online. Mm. How do you explore, <laughs> you know, how do, how do churches deal with that? How do we begin to deal with some of these things that definitely weren't around when Paul was writing his epistles? Well, not that he admitted to. I mean, we can't guarantee <laughs> for sure, but we don't think so. How did he <laughs> Well, I mean, he was using remote technology to communicate with people. Everything he said, if he'd said it face-to-face, -face, we wouldn't have a record of it. So mm. there isn't really anything saying that only face-to-face, -face, direct communication, as we're having now, Good is point. a thing that's valid. So um, somebody travelled a distance with his words, and that's why, that's why we know. So... You know, he was quite frank in his own way about why people should or shouldn't get married. And there was a lot more emphasis from his perspective on singleness and almost the liberation of now you don't have to get married. You know, do it if you really can't help yourselves, mm. but otherwise be single and focus on other things. So I think um, what I wanted to do was really just give people the chance to understand more about themselves on that journey, to learn to develop discernment, to focus on their emotional health, to not be caught up in the idea of, of good or bad as a, as a thing just because it came through technology, because it's going to be increasingly hard to ignore. Mm. So I think it's naive for any church to think this is something that we can just pretend isn't happening, when actually... It will be in everything that we do. We won't be able to avoid it. So there are trials now for facial recognition as people walk down the street. So we're not going to be able to avoid technology in any way. And I think we need a way that is actually affirming of, of people and individuals and who we all are and how we're valued rather than saying stay away from this thing that we just won't be able to stay away from. And so many churches are getting lots of things right but there are a lot of churches who potentially could come up higher in, in, that, in this space, especially in the space of singleness, because mm. it's not really many single people would probably say not celebrated in the way that Paul celebrated his singleness and just mm -hmm. kind of said, you know, I prefer this state. You know, this is, this, this is my preference because I can serve God more wholeheartedly. That doesn't really seem to be a message that we hear from many pulpits these days. And why do you think that is? No, I think you're right. And I think one of the reasons is the 13% that I mentioned earlier on is probably disproportionately represented in pulpits and in leadership positions. So for a lot of people, I think, who are doing that teaching, it's not necessarily relevant to them in a bad way, but it's just off their radar. They've just not had to think about it. So when you get to the people who are leading lives outside of the church, they're coming in on a Sunday or they have jobs or you know, just lives that don't focus around the church and around leadership, it is very different for them. So leaders are just not connected with that at all. And actually, <laughs> it's quite an interesting uh, finding from the survey about how my leader is not um, that... The exact terminology, but not that aware of modern relationship challenges is <laughs> the sort of polite way of putting it. And I did think probably a few leaders would go, yeah, great, don't keep, let's keep it that way. I don't want to know, <laughs> yeah. you know, let's just keep it all um, as it is and keep me blissfully unaware of what's happening. Um, whereas in reality, I think it's probably not a thing that a leader needs to know everything about. 
but actually they need to empower the people around them to make good decisions. So it shouldn't be about a sort of pyramid structure where one person has all the answers and it shouldn't be about leadership being modelled only by that dynamic as well. So people should be filtering down into their daily lives how they live, what discernment looks like for them um, and not having this front-led model that then takes away from... Um, people's own experiences and their valid journeys as well. So I think what I wanted um, churches to take from it, and there is a whole chapter in there just for, <laughs> just about churches, was allowing that wisdom that exists already in those communities to be shared more openly. Yeah. So leaders wouldn't necessarily be the ones facilitating that, but they definitely should be the ones listening uh, and allowing people to learn from each other, you know, across marital experiences, across generations. People want those friendships. They want to learn how to do life together and mm -hmm. to share their experiences together, not to have one person say... This, this is, is the, the way, way to do it. So I think for singleness in particular, it becomes more stigmatising if what you have is a model where you have to be married in order to have a voice. Yeah. You have to be married in order to be involved in decision making or you get to do the things that are your passion if you are married to the right person. And I think mm -hmm. that is modelled in a lot of churches. And I think that's one of the key things that I would ask people to reconsider and to look at another way of doing. So in churches, another thing that I think most people know, or I feel like most people know, is that there are definitely more women in church than there are men. Mm. And then a large proportion of those men that are in church are probably married to a large proportion of those women that are in the church. And then you have left over proportion <laughs> of women who, you know, and I've, I've, you know, I've moved cities, so I've had the pleasure of being in different churches where I've heard different approaches to yeah. what some ministries think people should do. One ministry said, find a husband and bring him here because we yeah. need more men in the church. Yeah. And then some will be more open to actually, you know, you may need to go somewhere where there are men, if that, you know, and, and kind of go there to date because here we have a pool of taken people and we'd yeah. like them to stay where they are taken. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, what is kind of your advice to, to, to people in churches? Because I've heard some, I've, and I've heard some good teaching around it. Don't, uh -huh. I've heard some great yeah. teaching around it as well. But, you know, what do we kind of say to church leaders and to those women who are in a church where they're, they want to date or get married, but there's no guys? Well, <laughs> well, just a small topic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a big topic. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge one. And I think the estimate is probably around two thirds women to a third men. Yep. And I have heard a rumour that I haven't been able to confirm that it's probably three quarters to a quarter if you look at single women to men. So it is, it is something that can't be overlooked. Uh, and I did ask women who had gone outside of their faith communities to, uh, to meet a partner for their experiences. Um, and I asked generally for people and I only had women respond. And those women had a range of stories. And I think um, whoever spoke to you about that was correct. You know, go going outside, meeting someone and bringing them in is not a bad thing to do. I think there's often a lot of fear around that. And policy tends to be almost more of a containment strategy of let's just <laughs> let's just keep those women here sat down nothing can go wrong it's risk-free apart from the women you know dying inside emotionally frustrated um but actually those women used their discernment they used their wisdom they were out in the world anyway they were often successful they had interesting jobs they had an education uh, and they would meet people along the way who were really supportive of their faith and really sympathetic to it um, they would be integrated into their lives. Some of them would come to share their faith. Some of them would mm. simply support them through their faith. And 
uh, it wasn't an incompatibility in the way that I think a lot of churches can be quite frightened about. And mm. um, when people talk about being equally yoked, there tends to be this idea that, you know, I have to have someone of the same faith as me, exactly the same faith. And when I actually dug down into that a bit more, um, people then had very different definitions of what their faith was. So yeah. it wasn't just same faith, it was same interpretation, same level of intensity, <laughs> <laughs> same level of commitment. Um, you know, someone who described themselves as um, Anglo-Catholic would have the same faith as someone who was perhaps Pentecostal in a lot on paper, but actually the way they live out their faith would be quite different. So people often wanted a mirror image of themselves more than they wanted someone actually who shared the same ethics as them or the same um, or sympathetic in the same way to what they were believing and how they were living. So it was complicated, I think, by people saying same faith and that them not really being explored at all as to what that meant in real life. And that is quite tricky because it's hard to meet someone anyway, some people would say, because you have this whole world out there with all these people with different views, different family backgrounds, different class, different working ethics, yeah. different, you know, all those different things that already come in. Do you think church actually makes this process even more complicated than yes, I do. not going Next to church? Next question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, church does make it more complicated, I think, because it becomes a community with its own set of rules and its own set of boundaries. So it's much less about the wider family of faith or how people want to live out their faith and much more about often what do we think in this, in this community with these walls. So even walking down a busy street in London that has three or four churches, you're not going to find within those churches people who think faith should be lived out the same way. So I think that complexity is often overlooked again. And if leaders are already happily married or at least married, you know, <laughs> giving the impression of being happily married, if they want to balance a difficult number of single women compared to men, all of those things add up to uh, less of a liberating community and more of one that's a holding pattern for a lot of people mm -hmm. of just don't do it, you know, just stay as you are. Uh, hope God for the best, will, God, will provide, God or... will provide, or not, if it's not yeah. meant to be, and we'll, we won't really address what that looks like, but don't go anywhere, don't look outside the church, <laughs> uh, don't, don't dig too far into any of this, and obviously part of the teaching that has gone along with that historically is that, you know, men have uncontrollable urges and drives and women don't, and one of the big themes that came out of the research was women saying, hello, hang on a minute. You <laughs> I'm know. also human. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've got a lot to deal with here. And men saying, oh, do you know what, actually, I'm, I'm not as uh, into, uh, you know, those kind of, of things. As, yeah. <laughs> those kind of things. <laughs> those kinds of things, um, as you might have been led to believe. And men saying, you know, church teaching about um, celibacy was actually really helpful for me because I didn't want to go and have uh, sex yeah. with lots of women. But couldn't really say that culturally and women saying I was told I'd never want to and actually help me <laughs> you know it's it's much more complicated I think we stop looking at people as individuals and we start putting them into roles and dividing them into what we think they should be and actually when you get people talking outright a lot of the times I couldn't tell whether it was men or women answering okay. certain um, questions unless they specified a particular thing that uh, gave it away because a lot of the issues were the same regardless mm. um, and the constructed issues in church communities the things that say men should be this women should be that they were the things that were causing people the most pain because it just wasn't reflective of their own lives. 
I mean, to that, my mum and dad um, have been married for, I think, 45 years this year, so an incredibly long time. Yeah. And, but they very much have always been a team, and that's the way I've always seen them, as very much a team. I never really saw them as, my dad is the only person in this house who can make any decisions, mm -hmm. and my mum is going to be at home. At times, she was at home, then she would go to work. And so, you know, I saw a, a multitude of different kind of leading and following in that sense, and I know that my dad would definitely say he wouldn't be anywhere near where he was if he wasn't married to my mom yeah. who's helped to guide him essentially <laughs> is the way I'm going to frame it for this conversation. So did you find any sense of that in terms of the very traditional way that some people still hold marriage, the man is the head of this home, mm. you know, in terms of talking about what you're saying about people being frustrated in the given roles to them, did mm. you find any of that in your survey? I found a breadth of things actually. For a lot of people it was a case of this is what we'd inherited and it just didn't fit. It didn't fit me as an individual, it didn't fit us as a couple, but we're really at odds with our faith community in that respect. For other people, there was one um, person who wrote in and said, you know, my wife and I uh, came to faith in quite an uh, egalitarian uh, context mm -hmm. where, you know, there weren't roles as such and we're now in a church where there are and I like this better and my <laughs> wife does too and I thought... Does she, okay. <laughs> who was answering the survey? <laughs> I, know, I know, I don't I didn't think I directly heard from her. Um, but that was an interesting thing where people sometimes felt, actually, this fits us better mm -hmm. to have this. And what I was trying to do was not to say do this, don't do that, but to actually say to people, does this actually work? Is this causing more harm than good? What are the things that are giving life and um, giving hope and bringing your spirit alive rather than things that you're feeling absolutely confined by? And I think there, that is a challenge ongoing. I think there's a lot of teaching that would say to people, particularly to women who, you know, as we've talked about, don't have a, um, a husband. Therefore, you know, if you're, if you're saying you have to be led by a man or submitted to a man, what man is that? You know, there is no, there is no Jesus. man. <laughs> well, you know, there were, there were some that said, some women that said, I was single, I was in an environment, working in a church environment, and nobody knew what to do with me because I wasn't married. So if anything happened, they couldn't go and talk to my husband about what I needed to do better. They just couldn't put me in a place. They didn't know how to do that. So I think it has really real consequences for people. It's not just a case of what happens at home. It's also what happens in the public sphere and there are quite well-known uh, teachers and preachers who are still questioning whether women should have jobs outside the home, whether they should teach in Bible colleges, um, a big controversy recently about whether they should preach or not in churches and actually for women who have these gifts and have these skills it's very demoralising and you know they, they, they're not going to fit in church and feel like they've got homes there if that's what they're told. And I think for men as well, who don't feel like natural leaders, mm. um, which they're told they should be, or that leadership should look a certain way, I think it limits everyone rather than allowing people to flourish for who God's made them to be. So how do we as a body, as a body of Christ, doing life together in our own little communities, which as you say, you know, each, you know, down the road, three churches, different views, mm. but we're saying, okay, well, we just kind of want to live together. We want to be ecumenical in our approach. How do we live, love, respect other views that some of them, you know, I'll have views that I really disagree with and I think mm -hmm. I really don't agree with that. Mm. How, do, how do we hold that tension well and model that in a, in a good way for the world to see that Christ's love is a thing that mm. binds us together but not to gloss over either our disagreements? I think often what's happened when people have talked about uh, the Bible in the context of relationships is they've looked at those few verses around 
a, a woman shall not, a man shall, and so on, and not looked at the wider aspect of community and not looked at things like the fruits of the spirit and how we should be treating each other as brothers and sisters and what that means in our daily lives. And I think that would be quite revolutionary for a lot of people uh, to focus away from the idea of elevating uh, marriage and elevating couples and the nuclear family and actually look more broadly at what it means to coexist. I think that's a really important thing. So whether it's how you date on your smartphone to what it's like to be an older married couple in a church community, interacting using the fruits of the spirit and that being your guide to me is a lot more healthy than saying okay well let's just focus on what a man and woman can't do in this context and stay away from that because that will lead you astray and and bringing all these verses in that actually are really unhelpful for the most part I think we would all benefit if we chose to perhaps demote marriage in some respects in terms of our social its social standing and to look at how we just exist amongst each other so it's not that one is better than the other um, and one thing I would say that definitely came out was that people aren't being honest and open about how they're living anyway a lot of the time and people are quite happy to be in a church community while disagreeing quite fundamentally <laughs> with some of the things that that community upholds yeah. so I don't think it's radically different to just allow some of those things to exist and to be open and honest about them where there's a forum to do that and create forums to do that as well. Um, but not to think that if it's, if it's not this one way, then we must cast people aside and farewell them. And, um, you know, I think we have to let people go on that journey and go on that journey with them. And people did talk about, in some cases, marrying someone of the same faith and then that person's faith changing or they lost their faith or they both feel differently about it and there's not a kind of fixed point where you say okay this is now how it will be forever we have yeah. found ourselves we are fixed in stone this is how we'll live and actually it was it's much more complicated and we're much more complicated and nuance has to come into that and people's journeys through life and through their faith it's not a fixed thing where we just say I have now met someone who matches me in faith Amen, fade into happy ever after. <laughs> you know, we have to be realistic about the fact that people can be married one day and not married the next for different mm. reasons. Or, you know, they may be single at 19, single at 59, anything. You know, we were such a mix of situations and experiences that I think we can model something great together if we value each person for what they bring and who they are rather than a hierarchy of roles. So quickly, before finally... Um, <laughs> Where can people find you or find out more information about this if they're wanting to explore kind of these issues or have these questions? Well, um, I have a, a book, Points Subtly to the Table, which has the book on it, Relatable, Exploring God, Love and Connection in the Age of Choice, which is on my website, vickywalker.info. Um, and social media, I'm around tweeting all kinds of opinions that people can disagree with at their leisure. So I would love to hear from people and hear what they've thought about the book and the survey. At TBN UK, we want the gospel to be in as many homes in this country as possible. Will you pray with us that we continue to work with the vision that God has given? That's one way of partnering with TBN UK. Or you can tell someone about this podcast, our 24-7 programming on Freeview Channel 65 or Sky Channel 582. You can follow us on social media or give. It costs £15 a minute to spread the gospel via TV. For more information on how to join us in sharing the love of Jesus through media, go to tbnuk.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>